Thank you for this opportunity to, uh, to tell you about what I'm doing. I was thinking, I was thinking about what I'm doing, really, and, and how you describe this. And I think in order to give you a bit of context, uh, I need to tell you one thing, which is when I was uh, much younger, uh, very early on in my, my Christian life, I got hold of this idea that, um, that God could do impossible things and that he wanted to do those impossible things through his people today. And I, I think as far as I've known how to and as far as I've understood, my life has been a, an adventure of pursuing that, of asking God to do outrageously impossible things. And as I kind of look back over uh, things that have happened, I just think that all flows from that kind of um, determination, really, to see God's glory shown in things that he does. And, uh, and so if some of these things that I'm going to talk about seem a bit outrageous and improbable, uh, then that's why. Okay, so if you're looking at me thinking, uh, be realistic, Graham, uh, the answer is no, I I'm not going to be realistic. Um, life isn't about being realistic. Life's about responding to what God's saying. So I can't remember what I put there. So this is what I do, um, just to be practical. Uh, I work for you one day a week. Thank you very much. Um, and e even more than that, you pay me for one day a week. So thank you. Um, there's a thing called CST, the Christian Schools Trust, which I have led for the last... 13 years. I work for them uh, three days a month. Don't ask why it's three days a month. It's complicated. Um, but uh, I've just taken the decision to stop doing that. So in six months' time, I will no longer do that. So uh, they've, been, uh, they've been very gracious in paying me for those three days a week, um, but they decided they wouldn't do that once I'd stopped working for them, which is a shame, really, but <laughs> there you are. Um, I also lead a thing called Eureka, the European Educators Christian Association. No, I didn't think of the name. Uh, I inherited it. And uh, it is what it says on the tin. It's an association of Christian teachers across Europe. So that's any teacher, any educator in any school, so from kindergarten, uh, nursery, right through to university, um, not just Christian schools, any institution in any European nation. Um, and then that seems to have led on to me working with groups of Christian educators in the US, uh, where I've, I've just been, and uh, New Zealand and some other places as well. So the, the really silly, impossible idea that I got hold of was that every child in Europe could have a Christian teacher for a year of their lives. Good. I'm glad you're all in agreement with me on this. Because... Um, I worked out that was about 100 million children, uh, roughly speaking, give, give or take uh, 10 million here or there. Um, and uh, I don't know how many teachers that is, but it's a lot. Um, it's a lot more Christian teachers than there are now. And by when you're in, in Europe and you talk about Christian teachers, you, you want to be really definite in what you're aiming for, because there are lots of people who will say, oh, of course I'm a, a, a Christian, but in terms of living and expressing the life of the Spirit moment by moment, day by day. Um, that's, uh, there are many people who could do that but don't. Um, and we need many, many more. Uh, you know, probably a few million more. Um, obviously, it's completely unrealistic for one person to do that and it's completely unrealistic for it to happen in a few years. But you have to start somewhere. And it seems to me that if we did that, 
uh, we could reform education in, in Europe. I think that would change things quite a bit, don't you? Yeah, yeah I think so. Thanks, Bex. Um, so, so what I'm looking for um, is to uh, develop existing partnerships that I have, and, and there are quite a few. Um, I want to, to see uh, those develop for more opportunities for me personally to be involved in in-service teacher training, but obviously I can't do it all. Um, uh, what else did I put? Oh, yeah, to increase my income, yeah, because that's, that's going to be quite important, especially in about six months' time. Um, and uh, really, one of the things you discover as you, you go on with God is that God continues to speak to you about who he's made you to be. And the, the only problem with that, then, is you have to start to live in that. And the more God speaks to you about it, the more you have to say, oh, yeah, well, that means a number of things. And that's really what I'm, I'm seeking. It just happens for me to be in the context of education. Could be in anything. Could be engineering, could be healthcare, could be looking after uh, goats. I don't know. But, uh, and, you know, why not? But... Uh, I'm just trying to pursue that, okay? And the next thing. So, uh, I'd like some help. Please pray. <laughs> like, please pray. Um, and uh, the, other, the other thing is the encouragement's helpful. I, I, I try to send out some news about what I'm doing, and, uh, you know, occasionally people say something about it, which is lovely. Thank you. But uh, to be honest, um, uh, my, my chief encourager disappeared. She went... She went somewhere better five years ago. And, uh, um, and I miss that. So the, the encouragement that comes from my family um, is really important. Uh, I didn't mean to do that. Um, or, or you can, uh, if you just want to be practical and to say, Graham, uh, how can we help practically? Then the details are there. And if you want more details about that, uh, I have them. Or you could contact Liz in the office because she also has them. Thank you very much. Uh, how many of you sitting here this morning um, have a ruby with you? Does anybody have a ruby with them? We have one. One ruby. Sorry? No, 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 no. I'm talking about real rubies. You know, stuff that you could take and, and sell for money. Uh, no, no, nobody. Um, how many of you have one at home, a ruby? Perhaps in a, in a ring or some, in a pendant? We've got, we got a couple. Henry has one. And uh, you don't wear it very often, Henry. No. Okay. <laughs> All right, we have, we have one. As Cheryl points out, uh, wisdom is likened to a ruby. In Proverbs 3, uh, 15, I think it is. Uh, wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. So... Uh, we're going to have a look very briefly over, uh, well, this morning and over the next four weeks at uh, Wisdom Literature, part of our series of going through uh, Scripture and trying to understand what it is uh, about God, uh, His Word, and His world. Um, I have 11 minutes of my time left. I will be as speedy as I can, promise. Um, but those of you that have heard me before, which is many of you will know that uh, that will be a struggle. Okay. Um, so, uh, and I'm trying to see what I've got here on the, on the things as I, I haven't got anything better. There are, generally speaking, there are thought to be five wisdom books in 
scripture. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, uh, Song of Songs and Ecclesiastes. Psalms, depending on, on who you talk to and where you look on the internet, um, some will say Psalms is, some will say Psalms isn't, some of Psalms, not Psalms, doesn't really matter. It's not a hard and fast thing because there's wisdom type literature throughout scripture but it it does refer to a particular type of scripture scripture that is characterized by a lot of imagery a lot of metaphor okay because it's talking about abstract things but trying to do that in a language that helps us to understand uh, the value and the the importance and the significance of, of what it's saying so there's a lot of metaphors a lot of imagery um, a lot of allegory, a lot of story, in other words, where um, different things in the stories will represent different realities, different parts of life, different aspects of, of our experience. Uh, we see this repeated in the parables of Jesus as well and through a lot of the prophetic writings. So it's not just confined to the wisdom literature, but it is concentrated there so that when you come to look at it, Often, particularly if you're not familiar with, uh, with Scripture of this type, you look at it and you go, what? You just think, what is all this about? When I was younger, and, and I, I knew it was really important to read a, a portion of Scripture every day, I would sometimes, when I got to, to this bit, I would just read through it and think, yeah, I've done my bit. You know, it's like doing, like doing physical exercises. You don't really think about it. You don't, you don't contemplate it. I've, I've done my bit. And, and that's it. Probably did me no good whatsoever, just rattling through it, read a couple of chapters of Proverbs, and just think, oh, that's interesting, you know, what's all that about? And then move on to the next couple of chapters. Um, sometimes we treat it like that, um, but it's, it's not so helpful, as we will go on to find out. The Bible Project, which we have mentioned before, the, the website, The Bible Project, will be very helpful. It will say lots of the things that I'm not going to say, and it will say them in a much more interesting and wise way than I will. So those four there are uh, particularly helpful in trying to understand this area. And I do. Uh, we're not going to send them out necessarily, uh, as we have done before, just because it takes a bit of organizing to do it. But uh, just go on to the, the Bible Project, find those ones, and... Uh, uh, and have a look. They're only, if you don't know them, they're generally about seven or eight minutes long. Um, uh, it's not a talking head. You know, it's animated. It's, um, they're, they're really good. Wisdom literature can be a bit confusing, however. Uh, check this proverb out. Don't answer the foolish arguments of fools, or they will, you will become as foolish as they are. That's good Good common sense, yeah? Good wisdom. Okay, the very next verse. Be sure to answer the foolish argument of fools, or they will become wise in their own estimation. <laughs> On their own, they make good sense. Put next to one another, you could be forgiven for thinking, hello? Um, I don't really know what I'm supposed to be doing here. I mean, I'm surrounded by fools. Do I talk to them or not? Uh, <laughs> So if you go into work one morning and you don't say anything, you know you've read the first one. <laughs> going to work the next morning and you're talking to everybody, you know you've read the second one. The point is this. Uh, it's, it's all true, because Scripture is truth. And uh, doesn't it occur to you that you're therefore going to have to stop and think about it a little bit? 
Right, who's seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? Who remembers this scene right at the end? Is there anybody who, is there anybody who doesn't know the story? Okay, if you don't know the story, uh, let me just explain. Um, Indiana Jones has found the Lost Ark of the Covenant and he has uh, found it on behalf of the, uh, the US government, of course, because it's an American film. And, uh, and they put it in a box and they store it away in this massive warehouse. It's a, car, it's a cardboard, it's a, a wooden crate and it's among, and the, the image, uh, for those of you that have seen the film, you'll, you'll remember the, the scene right at the end, closing film. The, the image gives the sense that there are thousands of similar crates, all sealed up, and nobody knows what's in them. Just imagine that you walk into such a warehouse, and you know two things. The first thing you know is that this warehouse contains stuff that's yours. It's all yours. It's not anybody else's. It's not even to share. It is exclusively yours. But it's all hidden. You don't know what's in the crates until you start to open the crates and explore what's there. That's wisdom literature. God hides things so that we can find them. He hides things for us. He doesn't hide them from us. He hides them for us. But the reason that he hides them is so that we can explore, so that we can investigate, so that we can discover. He doesn't just lay it all out on a plate. You've got to go and find out what's there. So you walk into this warehouse and the first thing you're going to say is, is this really mine? And the answer is yes. God has enough in his provision and his own storehouse to make this much available to you. So much you could never explore it all. It'd be impossible for you to explore it. There just wouldn't be time in this life. But there's a life to come. That's not my, where I'm going this morning particularly. But So that's the first thing. The second thing is, um, where do I start? And some of you would start with the first one, because you're very logical. Uh, some of you would say, no, I feel like starting over there. Or some of you would say, um, I like the look of that one. I like that one there. Or some of you would say, I'm going to start with the easiest. Some would say, I'm going to start with the most difficult. I'm going to get to the, the one that's under the biggest pile, that's been there the longest, that nobody's looked at in millennia, and I'm going to go for that. And all of those things are okay. All of those things are true for you, individually. And it's, it's not just in the wisdom literature, but the, this particular type of literature, these particular books hold those sort of treasures for you. So, so often, we're, how often do you read the Bible and just say, what's that about? And it happens to me most days. Um, and yet, the one who wrote it lives in us. All we've got to do is just to, to still ourselves a bit, screen out all the other mayhem that goes on in our minds, and, and ask him to help us to understand it. 
The beginning of uh, Proverbs, uh, and it's not just about Proverbs, but the beginning of Proverbs uh, says this. Um, These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. The background I came from, and to be honest, a lot of what I've heard in this sort of background, talks about wisdom and discipline as kind of... It's a little bit like a straitjacket. It's a restrictive thing. How often do you hear uh, Christians, when they're talking about situations, just say, that wasn't wise, was it? Ooh, that's not wise. Um, or uh, they talk about discipline. And we, thankfully, we're, we're not quite so um, surrounded by this these days. But sometimes church discipline has just been a bit heavy. I mean, horrible, to be honest. Just not wise. Um, wisdom and discipline are releasing things. The, the original language here con- doesn't convey wisdom as a, as a concept. It talks about reigning in life. It talks about how we, how we live our lives through all the stuff that goes on successfully in the providence of God. It talks about, it it carries the sense of overcoming. It's actually very victorious language coming from books written hundreds of years before Jesus appeared. Um, This character, this is Solomon, the supersonic salamander. And uh, Solomon, the supersonic salamander, uh, was a, a creation of the same uh, background as uh, Salty, the singing songbook. Remember Salty, the singing songbook? Yes? Yeah, some of you looking, what? Just forget it. You don't need to know. But, um, uh, but this you need to know, because you won't have heard of Solomon, the, uh, the supersonic salamander, but uh, we got hold of uh, this um, CD uh, when the, the girls were little, and I... Anne bought this, and I looked at this, and I just thought, what have you bought? Because she said, oh, we can play this in the car. And I knew what that meant. (laughs) We would wear it thin. We would wear it out, playing it in the car, because the girls would would love it. But actually, the first time we we played it through, I thought, this is brilliant. This is amazing. Uh, Because the, the fun within it and the songs within it, but the truth within it was was dynamic. And I'm not suggesting that that's the only place that uh, my family found wisdom. But it was, it was one of the places that we found wisdom. And uh, uh, I could tell you all about uh, Slide Kick. I could tell you all about uh, Mrs. Beaverton's Country Fair. I could tell you all about lots and lots of things. But mostly, I and my family could talk to you about wisdom that we learn through this. So... The point I want to make here, though, is uh, sometimes, again, we, uh, the way some of this is translated, it's, you know, this makes the young wise. And by the time we get to be older, like me, you think, oh, I am wise. And that's rubbish. You know, yeah, it makes the young wise. But the, the whole point is, let's make the young wise so that they don't do stupid stuff when they're older. Um, so if you're doing stupid stuff when you're older, um, you need to catch up, don't you? Yeah. Okay, all those people that recognize they do stupid things are saying yes. All right, this is it. This is the last bit. So uh, look at that. 
just uh, Simeon and the rest of my buddies on the, the leadership team, just take note of the time, and I'm on the last point here. Okay? So I don't want to hear ever again any stuff about Graham goes on too long. Thank you very much. I know I haven't finished yet, but uh, I've just been to California, as you know. You know, not to name drop again, but I was just... And uh, I arrived, and what, what tends to, to happen, those of you who have had the privilege of doing this, you, if you fly through the day, you take off about 10 in the morning, you arrive about 2 in the afternoon, and, uh, and you've been flying for 13 hours, and you just think, this is a bit balmy. Um, and uh, the, the place where I was going, Reading, is about four hours from San Francisco, where I flew to, and uh, I prefer to... Uh, to hire a car and drive up, because you've got to hire a car anyway, and as you know, some of you, this time I managed at an incredible knockdown price to get a, a convertible Mustang, which was just far more fun than a man of my age ought to be allowed to have. And, um, yeah, I noticed Stephen Sue driving around in a, uh, in a convertible now, so well done. <laughs> his, his dream was a Renault Megane, mine was a Ford Mustang. Steve. Dream bigger. <laughs> but, um, so, I, I arrived, I had a bit of a kip when I got to the hotel, and I, I'd found this hotel a couple of years before, and I really like this place, because it's right on the Pacific coast. I mean, it's, it's not by the airport, there's, you drive a little way, you get to the hotel, so you've got hotel, road, beach, ocean, China. That's what it's like. And um, I went to, uh, to sleep at, I don't know, about 9, 10 o'clock, something like that, and woke, as I knew I would do, about four o'clock in the morning. Bing! Because it was midday for me. And uh, all I could hear was the sound of waves crashing on the beach. It was beautiful. I mean, I just lay there and thanked the Lord. Because it was, it was completely dark, uh, window was open, and I could hear these, these waves just coming in and crashing on the beach. But as I was thinking about these waves, I started to think about waves in, in Scripture. Don't do this every morning, so I'm not kind of super spiritual, but uh, it was four o'clock. What else was I going to do? Um, so I made a cup of tea and uh, um, went on the, uh, the, the website that I use for kind of looking things up and started to read through all the, the Scriptures about the waves in the deep, and it confirmed something for me that I knew. Okay? And this is to do with, with wisdom literature. So this is what wisdom does for us, the, the literature, what it does. The literature presents the deep and waves in uh, the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, as places of fear and dread. Waves are always talked about as waves in, over darkness. It's a scary place, the sea, in the Old Testament. It's full of monsters like Leviathan, which is a bit like the Loch Ness Monster, but less friendly. And... Uh, there are all kinds of other dreadful things about waves and the deep. People don't come back from the deep. When God's condemning people, they go to the deep. When, when an army comes, they come like waves. Okay, So the whole picture that we get from this type of literature of the sea is a scary place. We get to the New Testament. And the first thing Jesus does, he walks on the waves. He, yeah, woo. He calls Peter to walk on the waves. The waves to, the, to, to Jews represented fear and darkness and the unknown. And what does Jesus do? He walks on them. He commands them to be still. That's why the, the uh, 
uh, disciples said, who's this? He commands the waves. It's not just he's in charge of the weather. It's he's in charge of the chaos. He's in charge of the darkness. He's in charge of everything in our lives that scares us silly. He's above all those things. He's walking on the waves. What happens to Peter? He said, Pete, uh, uh, Pete says, is that you, Jesus? He says, yeah, it's me. Can I join you? Yeah, come on. So Pete jumps out and he's walking over the thing that he's been afraid of all his life. He's just walking over. And then suddenly he realizes what he's doing. He looks at it and he goes, hang on, I'm supposed to be afraid of this stuff. And he starts to sink. And then Jesus lifts him up. I don't know how you walk on water, let alone stand on water and pull somebody out of it. That's just crazy. But you get the picture. And the picture comes because we've seen that in the wisdom literature and God's spoken to us about it and this is what I think we've got bits of our lives that are like the sea they're deep they're scary we're not in control of them we don't understand them and Jesus says no I don't call you to understand it I call you to walk across the top of it okay that applies to some of us this morning so we're going to pray and uh, then we're going to finish If there's anything that I've said this morning that's resonating, just, just stand up to acknowledge it. It's not to acknowledge it to me, it's to acknowledge it to him. It's just saying, Father, I acknowledge this. I acknowledge this. Okay, Father, for, for all of us, we seek wisdom, we crave it. But for those of us where we know there are things that are... Uh, dark and confusing, that could consume us. Our choice is we're going to walk across the top of those with you. We're going to walk side by side with you, arm in arm with you, perhaps even hand in hand with you across the top. We are not going to look at the, the depth and the waves and the things that we don't understand. We'll keep our eyes gazing where you're gazing, gazing at you or gazing with you. Jesus, right now, I ask for all, particularly for all of these people standing, just call them out, just like that song we sing. Call them out. Walk through the waves. Keep their eyes fixed on something. In Jesus' name, amen.